typically the um, times these go wrong are if people earn variable amounts of money, so people on commission arrangements who have large bonuses or people who receive pay rises throughout the year. So we have a bit of a process to combat that. In about February, for our clients that do tax variations, we contact them and ask them to send us a copy of their payslip so that we can have a look at whether their circumstances have changed um, and to see that the rate of tax that's been withheld is actually appropriate so we're not getting to the end of the year and delivering um, bad news about a tax bill, the bill that no one ever wants to receive. Hello and welcome. You're listening to Dashdot Insider, the home of property investors who want to create a life of freedom, choice and abundance. And on today's episode, we're talking about keeping more of your tax and paying it to your property instead of the government. A very interesting episode today where we talk about tax variations. And what we're really, really digging into is how you can stop paying tax on a week-to-week basis so that you can pay more into your properties. It's a very interesting conversation, and I promise you, it's all legal. So it's a great conversation, particularly if you are worried about negative cash flow in your portfolio. If you're thinking about getting started in investing, but you're concerned that you can't afford the negative cash flow that your property may bring in the current high interest rate environment, this is an excellent episode because we're talking about how you reduce that negative cash flow by getting your tax variations done in a regular, but on a regular basis out of your salary. So if you're interested in saving money, making money and accelerating your property portfolio, then this is a great episode for you. Now, of course, as always, my only request is that you share this with somebody or bonus, even subscribe because we love to get more subscribers too. Without any, any further ado, let's get stuck right into it and I'll see you on the inside. Hey guys, welcome back to Dashdot Insider. Joining me on today's episode is a very special guest, very special guest, Catherine Simons. She's the Deputy Managing Partner and Chief Operating Officer, or also known as an accountant at WSC Group. Catherine specializes in rental property investment and small to medium-sized business advice. Catherine, I'm very excited to have you on the show. How are you today? I'm well, thank you. Thank you for having me, Goose. Well, it's a real pleasure. One of our team members said, um, you know what? You know who you've really got to get on the show? You've got to get Catherine on the show. You've got to talk about tax variations. And I thought, geez, that's a bit of a niche topic, isn't it? What on earth is a tax variation? Okay, so a tax variation, I don't think it should be a niche topic. It should apply to most uh, property investors. But a tax variation is a form we lodge with the ATO at the beginning of the financial year to estimate all of your income and deductions for the coming financial year. And with that information, the ATO issue your payroll office a flat rate of tax to withhold from your pay instead of taking out the regular rates of tax. So the result of that is instead of waiting for the big pot of gold at the end of the financial year, the big tax refund that helps you cash flow your investment properties, you're getting that as you go. Interesting. Okay, cool. Let's break that down a little bit further because it's uh, common knowledge to you, but this won't be common knowledge to anybody else. And everybody else is very much used to, okay, I get my pay minus uh, tax and then at the end of the financial year, I lodge my tax return and then I get, um, hopefully, probably, I get some kind of um, I get some tax return back. I get a bunch of cash, right? Once a year, a little cash, a little pocket. You're saying that you can effectively set it up so that you don't get that big payout at the end of the financial year, but you can incrementally get that throughout the year. Is that kind of what you're saying? Spot on. So instead of paying for all of the cost of your investment property, you can get that little tax hit each fortnight or each week when you get paid. Okay. So talk to me, because there's two, there's two components here that we're talking about. On the one hand, let, let, actually, let's just focus first on what happens to the salary side of things because this is, I think, we'll get there. and then I want to talk about how this relates 
to the property relationship between the salary and the tax and all that kind of stuff. So just on a like individual basis, forget about any kind of investment properties, just pretend we've got no investment properties on the table. How does this work? So do they how how does that actually work on a kind of day-to-day basis? Is everyone going to collect all of their tax um, and then have to pay it at the end or, or how does that can you kind of explain how the mechanism works as it relates to people's salary? Absolutely. So ordinarily, when you get paid a salary, your employer uses a payroll program to work out what tax you would have to pay on that salary. And they withhold that tax on your behalf and pay it direct to the government so that you don't have to pay tax when you do your tax return at the end of every year. And all going to plan, you should get a very small tax refund at the end of the year if you haven't had any uh, major deductible expenses. So uh, your employer is really facilitating the payment of that tax week to week. Okay, cool. And in a normal set of circumstances, without considering any property, if like what, what does a tax variation do? So could you effectively, are you effectively saying, hey, employer, don't pay my tax for me? Or is it like, how does this smooth it out? Or is it actually only an interesting thing to talk about if we start to bring in something like property investment? Like standalone, is it something that actually has any value to do? For most employees, no. So, if you have regular routine deductions that you would be claiming each year that result in a large tax refund, you may have a purpose to lodge tax variation. So, an example of that might be if you're an employee who has to maintain a motor vehicle for work and you claim a large amount of deductions for your motor vehicle, you might have a reason to do a tax variation um, to reduce the amount of tax your employer is taking out of your pay each week. Um, But normally, a property investor would be the main consumer of a tax variation. Yeah, okay, that's really interesting because also, you know, a lot of people are working from home these days and so they might be able to be claiming some of their rent if they're renting or any of their kind of home office expenses. You can start to incrementally claim that through the year as well. So that could also be pretty interesting, right? Yeah, you could. And if you're doing one a tax variation for a property investor, you would certainly take up an estimate of what you're likely to claim in home office deductions and other things. Um, the ATO is very much focusing on those. So if you're at home uh, claiming your, your home office expenses, make sure those records are kept well this year. Um, For most uh, normal office workers who would work at home a little bit, there wouldn't be enough benefit in the home office expenses to um, do a tax variation for that deduction alone. Um, But in conjunction with some other bits and pieces, that could be a good idea. Okay, cool. So, how is this beneficial to property investors and under what circumstances? Talk to me about that. Okay. So, for a property investor, the main benefit is cash flow improvement. But in addition to that, it could enable you to um, get your other personal debt under control quicker um, by allowing you to contribute more to your um, personal debt by getting back that income more regularly. So, typical example, if you purchase an investment property at a purchase price of $700,000 at a 4% um, yield. Um, Perhaps that property is 10 to 15 years old. Um, You may get tax benefit from that if your marginal rate is sort of 39%, including Medicare levy of $4,000 to $9,000, depending on where interest rates are sitting. You could be parking that additional money in your offset account against your own personal home loan to save yourself some interest throughout the year. So, it's really about what are you going to do with that money if you've got access to it sooner? And for most property investors, that is either redeploy that to purchase additional property or other investments or use it to help you reduce debt. Yeah, that's really interesting because one of the biggest issues that I've seen with property investors, you know, in the last 
you know, 12 to 18 months. Interest rates have been going up. And that has meant that even properties that are significantly high yielding, we're talking 6% and higher in many cases, are still negative cash flow after all expenses, after after it's all said and done. And for a lot of people, that can be really daunting. You know, if they're, if they're you know, okay, we're going to go buy an investment property. We've got our deposit. We've got our borrowing capacity. We're good to go. And then they go and try and buy an investment property. And then they look at the numbers and they're like, oh my God, this is going to be negative cash flow by like 10 grand a year. I can't afford that. And so they're opting out of investment, which in fact is a really damaging decision for their for their total kind of wealth creation story. Because, you know, they might be saying, no to making hundreds of thousands of dollars on an investment uh, over time, obviously, with growth and everything like that, because they can't stomach, afford, or, you know, whatever, the $10,000 of negative cash flow, which is totally fine because it, you know, costs a bit. So, this could actually looks like a way that people might be able to short circuit that. You know, if they can claim some of that tax back along the way, that's going to help offset some of those expenses. Is that kind of right? Absolutely. That may pay for, you know, 50 to 60% of the cost of that property, even if it is um, negative cash flow. Yeah, interesting. So, is there a way that individuals, obviously, we're not going to, this is none of this financial advice. If you're taking financial from a financial advice from a podcast, probably you've got bigger issues. But how can people at home looking at their own situation kind of think about like a mental model of how to apply this? So, for example, let's say I'm a property investor and I'm looking at a property and let's just say, for example, it's, it's, um, $10,000 negative cash flow. And let's say my marginal tax rate is, you know, 32% or whatever the case may be. Is there a, is there a way that I can kind of go just a quick reference where I can go, okay, cool. Let me translate that a quick formula to try and rationalize it. Or, or is this something that only people who have become CPAs and studied for years, they go and they mix up a magic brew and come up with some concoction and it's like mad, some mad scientist type thing. Or is this something that people can use in a simple way? I'll, I'll go a, a middle ground. So, if you're spending $10,000 on um, out-of-pocket expenses for your investment property, excluding principal repayments on debt, then you're, as long as you're paying your um, taxable income is over $45,000, you're going to be getting at least 30% of that back in tax at the end of the year. So, the bit that gets a little bit more complicated is we haven't got into the benefit of non-cash deductions like depreciation on investment properties. So, if you're looking at something that is under 20 years old, the benefit is going to be even greater than that because we will have the benefit of some depreciation deductions. Yeah, okay, cool. So, the depreciation one is a good one, but that's kind of like that adds an extra layer to it. But even just on that baseline of looking at you know negative cash flow, just that that simple mental model of like, okay, if your negative cash flow by $1,000, you could probably, and you're earning more than $45,000, you can probably expect to be able to claim back, broadly speaking, about 30% of that. Okay, cool. So, so then that $1,000 becomes $700. If you're, if you're $10,000 negative, that's $3,000, roughly. And of course, if you're, just correct me if I'm wrong here, but if you're earning more money and your marginal tax rate is higher, does that mean that you can claim back more? So, for example, if your marginal tax rate was 45% or I can't remember what, what the, all of the different um, uh, tiers are, but let's say it was 45%, does that mean that you can claim back 45% of that negative cash flow? Okay, so base, So this is a really interesting mental model that people can use because most people should be aware of or can kind of work out what their marginal tax rate is. And so, they can then 
self-assess to us to some degree of course i would strongly advise everyone gets gets uh, advice from someone like yourself a, 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 and a practicing accountant who actually understands property investment is a big one because a lot of accountants actually don't understand property investment but if someone's earning you know a certain amount of money and they're like hey my marginal tax rate's 37 percent they could look at a property and go okay this is you know five thousand dollars negative cash flow times 0.37 okay cool i'll get $1,850 back, which means that, in fact, it's only going to be, oh, do the quick maths, uh, about $3,150 negative cash flow versus $5,000. This is a pretty good, it seems like a pretty good hack, right? Yeah, it's a good back of the envelope calculation. And we encourage people to do that. It at least gives you a starting point for that conversation with your accountant when you pick up the phone. They can get into the particulars about what you're spending that money on, whether all of those items are deductible. But it's a great back of the envelope so that you can work out if it's something you can afford. Okay, that's pretty cool. Because yeah, and the other thing here, obviously, that's a great mental model on how to think about uh, negative cash flow properties. But the the key thing that we're weaving in here is the tax variation component, because it's all really well and good to go. Okay, cool. So I can claim that back at the end of the financial year. Blah blah blah. I'll get some money back. But on the day to day, on the hip pocket, on the month to month, the fortnight to fortnight, the week to week, where people are actually spending the money. Being able to do that in the now is super valuable, right? Because that's, you know, because if you're, for example, $5,000 a year negative cash flow divided by 52, that's $96 a week. If you can reduce that to like $60 a week or whatever the case may be by being able to offset on a week-to-week basis, that's going to be suddenly a hell of a lot more affordable, which is, again, going to mean people can get into property sooner. So how does that actually work? Like how do people actually receive the cash on a regular basis. How does that actually work? So the mechanism that's used there is that the employee and um, the ATO actually contact your employer and tell them to withhold less tax from your pay. So your pay packet that you see go into your bank account is just greater by the amount of the benefit from that tax variation. Okay, cool. So you literally just get every fortnight, week or month, depending on your pay cycle, you'll just get more pay from your employer because the employer will withhold less. It's can this ever go wrong? Like, can this can it, can people ever end up in a bad situation by doing this? And imagine this is it might happen. Have you got any examples of that? Yeah, that's a great question. So typically, the um, times these go wrong are if people earn variable amounts of money, so people on commission arrangements who have large bonuses, or people who receive pay rises throughout the year. So we have a bit of a process to combat that. In about February, for our clients that do tax variations, we contact them and ask them to send us a copy of their pay slip so that we can have a look at whether their circumstances have changed um, and to see that the rate of tax that's been withheld is actually appropriate. So we're not getting to the end of the year and delivering um, bad news about a tax bill, the bill that no one ever wants to receive. Um, the other thing that can go wrong from time to time, and we are not in this situation right now, but when interest rates fall away really quickly and the deductions that we've estimated at the beginning of the year um, turn out to be way higher than they actually end up being, that can uh, throw a bit of a spanner in the works. But again, a simple review of your circumstances in February before the financial year ends when we've got a few months to deal with the ramifications of those changes is all we need um, to make sure that we don't end up in any hot water. Is there a reason it's February? Like, why isn't it sort of like six months? Is it just because six months would land at Christmas and no accountants want to work at Christmas? Yeah, we're closed. It's um, it's the new year. We're having too much fun out in the sun. Yeah, nice. So, just to make sure I understand that, the circumstances where it could go wrong so you mentioned like if people have got variable pay, but what you really mean is if they end up getting paid less than what they had originally spec'd, so they're effectively claiming 
more tax or is it the other way around? The other way around. So if you earn more or your deductions are less um, than we expect, then we end up in some some hot water. Okay, cool. So if your pay increases, I'm not sure I actually understand that. So help me under leave the leave the property and interest rate thing aside because I'll come back to that. So if I'm earning $100,000 a year and I set up a tax variation, everything's hunky-dory, good, good, fantastic, and then my pay goes up to $150,000 a year. Um, again, I'm not super – I don't have memorized all of the um, tax brackets, but let's just say that that puts me in a different tax bracket. I think it does, right? Okay, good. Why? So the amount that I would be able to claim against the negative cash flow of my property should be more. So therefore, I should be in a better position, not a worse position, but you're saying it's the other way around? Yeah, what you're saying is really logical. The flaw in that system is that the uh, notice that the ATO gives your employer about reducing the tax they take out of your pay is stated in percentage terms as a percentage of your income. And in the scenario that you've just explained, your effective tax rate has increased because you've jumped a tax bracket. So the ATO has issued your employer with a rate that's just not appropriate for your new income level in that scenario. Okay, and so what... The likely outcome of that is you get a, a naughty boy letter or a naughty girl letter or you end up with a big bill. You just get a big bill. Okay. Well, no one really wants that. Although you could argue that the time value of money, um, you know, the reality of the situation is let's just say the bill was going to be $10,000, but you'd put $10,000 into an offset account and you were making interest on it. You could argue that the time value of money would be worth it as long as you were prepared to pay the bill at the end of the financial year, right? Absolutely. There's one small little catch, as there usually is, is that you will be prevented from lodging variations in the future. So, if you owe more than $500 at the end of the year and you are in the routine of lodging variations, they will stop you from entering that cycle at some point in time. Okay. Because I was actually just thinking there, I was like, that's like a credit line. come up with something. Yeah. I was (laughs) like, that's awesome. I was like, okay, so just give me all, give me all of my tax money. Give me a bill at the end of the year. I'll keep, ta- I'll keep tabs on it. I'll invest the money. I'll make more money, and I'll just pay you the difference, and I'll profit off the ATO. But of course, they've thought about that, right? They have. So- <laughs> no matter what the scam is, they've thought about it and they've found a way to stop you from doing it. Okay, cool. And so um, the other scenario where it can go wrong is if somehow your property becomes more profitable than you had anticipated. So instead of, for example, it being negative cash flow by $10,000, it suddenly becomes profitable by $10,000 or in fact, potentially just even is only negative cash flow by $1,000. If you've got that calculation incorrect, that can kind of throw things out. Yes, spot on. So, there's lots of things that we can foresee. If we know your lease is due for renewal sometimes throughout the year, we'll ask what the rental increase is likely to be and your agent will usually have a great handle on that. It's just the unforeseeable changes like those sudden interest rate drops when something happens in the economy or the sudden interest rate increases that change your circumstances. Okay, got it. And what about if people are purchasing more than one property within one financial year? What happens then? So, the timing of doing the variation can be interesting if that's the case because obviously we're just estimating deductions. So, if we know how many properties you've got at the beginning of the financial year, we can include all of those. If you've got um, speculative purchases, we generally won't include those until you're actually settled on a property. So, we can change your tax variation throughout the year. It can be cost prohibitive to do so. So, we don't want to do that too many times. We don't want to be doing a new tax variation every single month. Um, but we can certainly update the variation to include another property and some additional deductions um, if you add to your portfolio during the year. Okay, cool. 
And this is, does, is there any kind of like, does this change on property types? Is this still applied to like, if you've got commercial properties, residential, it doesn't really matter. You can apply this to any kind of set of circumstances. Yeah, you can apply it to absolutely any. There is a point at which it stops being beneficial. So if you've got a portfolio which has, you know, some positively geared and some negatively geared property, um, we sort of try to work out what the benefit is and make sure you're getting at least $100 back a month um, in benefit to uh, warrant doing that for you. Um, But no, there's no limitations on types of property or types of deductions. Okay. And what about if my salary is $100,000 a year? Um, and let's just say for simplicity's sake, I pay thirty. I pay thirty thousand uh, dollars in tax, so I receive in the hand seventy thousand dollars. And my property portfolio is negative cash flow um, by a hundred thousand dollars, right? And broadly speaking, I can claim thirty percent of that back. Okay, so I can claim thirty thousand um, dollars. Does that kind of just net net? Just nets out in a pretty even way or? Yeah, if your um, property deductions are as much as your salary, you can have zero taxable income and get all of your tax back. Might be difficult to cash flow, but, you know. Yeah, it might be difficult to cash flow. Yeah, I'm just trying to work through some hypotheticals. And what about if people are investing with trusts? Because this sounds like something that makes sense if people are investing in their personal name. But what about if if someone's got a property portfolio of, you know, one trust or even potentially multiple trusts that they're investing in? Does that change that? Because- you would typically have a trust and then a trustee company. And so, how does that affect this strategy? So, generally, if you're investing with a trust and your property is negatively geared, we'd be talking about a unit trust um, and you can still access exactly the same tax variation benefit in that scenario. What about, though, if somebody doesn't have a unit trust? What about if somebody set up a discretionary trust um, and their property portfolio was positive, positively geared and positively cash flow, and then interest rates have gone up and now it's negatively cash flowed, what would change in that set of circumstances? So, you can't access a tax variation for that. So, losses can't be distributed from discretionary trusts. Depending on your circumstances, there may be a way for us to distribute some income into the trust, um, but that's probably getting beyond the scope of this conversation, Um, but definitely something that we would want to talk to people about. If you're set up in that way, often you're a business owner that is looking for some asset protection on top of the usual usual asset protection. And in that case, perhaps you have a business entity that operates out of a separate discretionary trust, and then there's some stuff that we can do to get the benefit of that negative gearing. Okay. What else do people need to know about this? Actually, I've got another question. So, I know you... I'm going to ask you first, and then you can let me know what else I haven't asked that we need to dig into. How do employees have this conversation with their employer? Sounds good, right? But how do you actually go about doing it, right? If someone's listening to this and they're like, oh my God, this is the answer. I'm going to go and do it right now. How do they do that? Do they go to their employer? Do they go to the ATO? How do they actually do it? So, really go to your accountant, but um, it is the ATO you approach. Theoretically, you don't have to talk to your employer at all. The ATO communicates directly with your employer. Um, so, you shouldn't need to discuss that with them. Certainly don't need to tell your employer your personal circumstances and how much you're spending on your investment property. Um, but the ATO will send your employer a letter. So, if you wanted to flag that, particularly if you've got a smaller workplace where perhaps your payroll officer isn't likely to have administered something like this before, you might just warn them that a letter will come from the 
the ATO to change your tax rate. And if they have a, um, any issues with that, if they're not as experienced in payroll as others, they can either contact their business accountant or if you're using our services, we would generally offer to speak to an employer because it is a really simple change that they make in their payroll software. Okay, cool. Good to know. That's good to know. That's going to be really helpful because I'd imagine yeah, a lot of people might not be comfortable having that conversation with their employer going, oh, hey, can you, because you could feel a little bit awkward, but being able to just go to the, go to the, go to their accountant and say, hey, I'd like to do this. Can you help me with the process? Can you help me, you know, can you actually speak to the ATO for me? They've got a trusted partner in that space that can actually help them to enact the strategy, which is going to give them a lot of benefit and potentially allow them to continue to buy property even in the current environment. That's pretty good. Okay, so your turn. What else do we need to know about this topic? Well, I think coming into the end of the financial year, it's really good to understand as a property investor what the ATO is looking at. And the ATO have flagged for us in advance kindly that they are looking to roll out some new data matching software with investment property loans. So, they have a new data matching program which will help them identify property investors who are using their loans for non-tax deductible purposes. So, this is the year if you're a property investor to make sure that you're reviewing your loans and making sure you don't have any personal expenditure wrapped up in your investment property loan accounts. If you hear that and alarm bells are going off in your mind and you're thinking, oh no, I've got, you know, redraws galore in my investment property loan account, it's time to stop that and really take stock and, and have a chat with your accountant about what you can do to amend that situation. Can you give me an example of what you mean by that kind of thing? Do you mean people that are dipping into their offsets to go buy a fish and chips or what, what do you mean? No, it's not your offset accounts. It's when you're actually using your loan account and the redraw facility on your investment property loan account to pay for personal items. So, I'll give you an example. If you've got an investment property loan of $500,000 and one day you've got $100,000 sitting in your savings account and you go, you know what? I'd like to repay that off my loan. I don't park it in my offset account. I've just decided I'm going to repay it off my investment property loan. So, I only owe $400,000. And two months later, you go, I'd really like a a holiday to Europe. I'm going to pull $50,000 of that loan back out to pay for my holiday to Europe. In my mind, I'm thinking, well, I owed $500,000 on my investment property and I repaid some and I took a little bit of it back out, but really it was used for my investment property. Well, not from the ATO's perspective. When they look at that scenario, they say, you had paid your investment property loan that was used for the purchase of that property down to $400,000 and when you take that $50,000 out, it actually becomes personal and private in nature because it was used for a personal expense and they will forevermore treat that loan as, you know, uh, eight-ninths investment and one-ninth private. And no matter how much you then pay down, it will keep being paid down in those proportions. So, you can imagine if you do that situation over and over, keep drawing money up for personal purposes and repaying amounts and gets applied proportionately, eventually you really dwindle down the deductibility of a loan account. So, those loan accounts are our top priority this year, making sure that every investor knows that we need investment loans used exclusively for investment activities. Mm. Yeah, that's that's really interesting that it goes back in perpetuity because in that example you gave, like if you just put 50 grand back into it, 
that wouldn't top up that little bit. It would just sort of pay down proportionately, and you would they would still keep treating that um, that little portion as a personal. That's Spot on. There is a fix. And that's why I say if alarm bells are going off in your mind, it's not time to hide under the blanket. You can go to your accountant and you can um, get that calculation worked out and you can split the loan. You just have to do a refinance and split the personal portion away. And then you can work on paying that portion down and at least you've quarantined your investment loan. So there is a, a tax ruling and some guidance on that that anyone can follow. Got it. That is good. That is a good tip. You got any other little tricks up your sleeve like that? Well, I did mention before, I um, did a bit of clickbait earlier that uh, home office expenses are under the radar and we're all working from home. I'm not. I love working in the office personally, um, but everyone's working from home. Uh, the ATO from about February took away their um, estimated hours that you can claim your home office deduction. So, you need to be keeping some better records. And along with those records of what hours you're working from home, you also need to keep at least one example of each home office expense that you're incurring like your electricity, um, your council rates, whatever those things might be, um, just to demonstrate your internet, your phone, that you're actually paying those expenses. So, keep a keep a handle on your home office expenses. Best thing you can do tax-wise is keep some really good records. So, find a system that works for you and make sure you stick to it. Awesome. Love it. Well, Catherine, I have really enjoyed this episode. We've actually, it was super meaty, full of tactical, practical advice and really high value stuff, particularly in the current environment with a lot of, with a lot of investors that are experiencing negative cash flow in their properties. Really appreciate your time. If people want to reach out to you or, you know, your organization more broadly, even if you're really a bit too busy, where would they go? How would they get in touch? You can contact us via our website at wscgroup.com.au or come and follow us on Facebook. We do a monthly free webinar on any latest announcements in tax. So, that's where you can stay up to date with everything that affects property investors, business owners, and self-managed super funds. That sounds riveting. Monthly updates on tax. This sounds like the place to be. (laughs) During COVID, everyone was really interested. There was a lot of money being handed about. Yeah, it's over. I bet, I bet, I bet. That's awesome. Well, Catherine, really appreciate your time. Thanks so much for coming and sharing and I will see you again soon. Thank you for having me.